he should just go out and average 30 a game. Because when he does that, we're way better. What do you think Mike's doing? One of those fine homes here in Denver. Just do the whole <laughs> figure out what was going on. Yeah, I've, I've been shooting him texts, you know. I haven't been getting any responses back. But... Slam poetry? Wait, hold on. It's in the morning. Come on. All right. Welcome to the Hard Pick Mining Company, episode seven. We're recording this on Sunday, February 21st, with your Denver Five. You mean the Denver so- Three? Well, there's only three of us well, this week. We, we, we keep losing people, but uh, consistently we are the Denver Five. So <laughs> Nuggets, Nuggets had a yeah, the two of us without week. kids, and then uh, and I guess the the lazy father. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that in a different episode. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, so the Nuggets uh, had an interesting week this week, uh, kind of similar to last week. It was another up down week. Ended up two and two. Played the Lakers, Celtics, Wizards, and Cavs uh, on the week. Uh, I think we were all a little bit hesitant going into that Lakers game uh, last weekend uh, when we recorded the pod. We were just about to get into that game. And the Nuggets ended up actually pulling that out with a pretty dominant win. Uh, Just so uh, much fun. It was a fun game. game. Obviously, Anthony Davis uh, was hurt, so I think we do have to mention that. Uh, Hurt his Achilles at some point in time uh, in the first half there. So... Uh, Mike, we were so hesitant, we didn't even talk about the game. No, not at all. <laughs> we were just just terrified of it. We were just well, assuming an L there, but hey, they came out and surprised us. We ended up winning 122-105. I mean, we, we kind of blew them out there. and uh, I was really positive about how the team was able to actually hold on to a lead. Uh, you know, LeBron kept coming back, kept coming back on us on that game, and they were making shots and kept closing the gap, and we kept... Uh, coming back and fighting in that game. So I thought that was a really positive game, but that kind of led into uh, two of uh, some of the worst games of the season for the Nuggets (laughs) uh, against the Celtics. It was all the confidence that they got from the Lakers game, which I think was mostly the young guys who had a surprisingly big role in that Laker game and totally showed up. And they came in just like with all the swagger and then just couldn't keep it together went on the road and just couldn't do anything <laughs> just shit the bed <laughs> yeah started a four-game road trick uh, against the celtics and then the wizards uh, celtics was a really um tough game the celtics are a middle of the road east coast team right now uh in the eastern conference they should be better than they are but they're they're not and the nuggets actually i felt like really should have uh competed better in that game we ended up losing 112 to 99 and then, quite frankly, the disaster that is this season uh, was against the Wizards. Uh, yeah. That was the worst game by far. The Wizards are a bottom barrel team. They've got one guy who can do anything on that team, Bradley Beal. He's quite amazing, can make some uh, very, very tough shots. And the Nuggets ended up losing by two, uh, 130 Ugh. to 128 on the road in Washington. And honestly didn't and, have any business being in that game, period. Nope. Nope. The entire game. Literally the entire game was just, I don't know if we were tired or what, but we could not rebound. We could not make a shot. You know, Murray and Jokic were the only ones that actually went out and uh, scored. No one else did anything in that game. Frickin' Bertans is just draining threes all over the place on us. We know that's all he does. Career high, 35 points. All the guy does is shoot threes, and we can't cover that. Our guys are sitting back, getting um, picked on it, and not um, going over the top on the pick. And we know he's not going to drive the ball. He's shooting a three. It was 
I don't know, guys. It was a bad game. I, yeah, I, I don't. What, what's I will the say that I'm feeling a little less bad about it a couple days after, mainly because the Wiz went into uh, Portland last night and beat the Trailblazers at home. And the Trailblazers, even though they are missing quite a few guys, are uh, actually putting up a pretty good record. So mm-hmm. maybe the Wiz are starting to play a little bit better here. Um, and so our loss doesn't feel quite as bad just because they went in and beat another Northwest Division team. So feeling a little bit better about that. But I my think main takeaway away. for the week, Mike, is just this this week has been the kind of encapsulation of the whole season, just up and down, just inconsistency. Mm-hmm. That's who we are this year. Other than Jokic, um, as usual, he was pretty stellar. I mean, we glossed over it. And we're going to have a little uh, Nikola Jokic appreciation time later in the pod, I think. But, you know, that Boston game, he was phenomenal. And nobody else nobody else could do anything, but he was great. Um, I think he had 43 points. Just was dominant. They couldn't do anything about him. No one else could make a shot to save his life. But And then, you know, in the Washington game, he was solid again. Uh, him and Murray. And then maybe we've now finally, you know, the optimist in me is hoping Murray has found his game again. And, you know, he's been great. Cleveland game, obviously, 50 points, insanely efficient. Just unreal. Do Just you, so good. Do you I mean, think, we needed that game. From a uh, psychological Jamal, fan standpoint, I needed that. Do you think <laughs> Jamal turned a corner me. after the Washington game and he's we've got emotional Jamal back? We need I him. I love that. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I think, you know, that's him at his best. I think that might have been the first game I get with any fans at all in the stadium. I heard some comment oh. about that. There were at least a couple people. You could tell every time he made a shot, he basically was turning and staring into the I, crowd. I did I mean, see all, that, and I did all thousand people there. Didn't whatever, even connect. But, um, I know they're talking about there's going to be fans gets, in Atlanta tonight. Okay, it, it was almost you know, like that, that Kobe that. kind of villain mentality where he yeah. sees the fans and they're getting pissed, and he just gets that nasty I, look. And I have never seen it. somebody hit so many heat checks of just <sighs> dumb shots and just raining him it was i mean he wasn't even hitting the rim like no that's how hot he was he wasn't even he wasn't even hitting the rim on these shots i you know and i think we'll uh we'll touch on a little bit in bush in the woods but if he i think if he can just be a scorer and not worry about you know i think he gets in his head about distributing needing to be that true point guard blah 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 totally agree if he he should just go out and average 30 a game because when he does that, we're way better. Like if Jokic does it, we've seen it. Um, I think the stat was we are like something like five and fourteen when Jokic puts up twenty five points or more this year. It's crazy. Uh, they had on the altitude broadcast, and basically, you know, when he tries to do everything and he can, the rest of the team, it's because the rest of the team sucks uh, that night. So if we can just, you know, if Murray is our leading scorer and Jokic is our secondary score leading assists leading rebound leading everything else i think that sets up the nuggets way better well murray uh this year after the i guess we'll just jump into a little bit of what happened there uh so murray scored 50 points uh, against the Cavs on 21 of 25 shots no uh, free throws right first time in the history of the game somebody scored 50 points without shooting a free throw crazy amazing amazing and to, watching the game, there were probably only two shots that I would say were ill-advised. You know, one he tried to shoot from the logo, and then one he hit, like he hit one from the logo. Crazy one. I mean, he was doing some heat checks, and so you look at it that way, and the guy was just completely on fire. But because of that game, 
Um, he's now, for the first time in his career, averaging over 20 points a game. All right. Which is really good to see. Hmm. He's averaging 20.6 a game. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously his efficiency is also up extremely the last two games. So you, you look at him against the Wizards game and then the Cavs game. Um, and the guy's uh, just completely on fire. And I think part of it is is that emotion that we're finally seeing out of him. I mean, when we looked at him in Bubble Murray, just the complete anecdotal you know, look at him is that he needs to be a guy, like Bush said, that shoots, that scores, um, you know, playing that role rather than um, needing to know what his other teammates are doing and getting them uh, involved. And when he does that, he is a huge part of our game. You can't stop him. I mean, people were, they were double teaming at one point, triple teaming him. Mm-hmm. And he was still hucking up um, threes and, and scoring. I mean, that game was one that I hopeful is kind of a turning point in our season. We're about a third of the way through the season right now. And he had not looked himself until the last two games. And even in that Wizards game, I, I didn't feel like it was until the second half of that game, really more than anything, that we saw him actually be aggressive in a way that he was going to go and look for his shot. Um, and try to try to outscore the other team by himself is almost feels like. Do do you feel like it's a a symptom of that he just needs that ultra focus and that you just you have to lose ten percent of your focus just bringing the ball up and understanding okay who's on who who's got the matchup who should I facilitate to what's the smart play here instead of just being hungry. I a hundred percent agree with that because I think he needs to be. He's best when he gets out of his own head a little bit and just is reacting and just mm-hmm. playing naturally. And he's a natural scorer. Like, we don't have a lot of guys. I mean, I don't know if we have anybody else on the team that's really a natural scorer like that. Maybe Will Barton, but even him, not so much these days. Right, that's the thrill. I, you can make an argument yeah. for MPJ. but Yeah, that's true. Yeah, MPJ is a natural scorer, I think. But in a different way, right? I think... Mm-hmm. Um, I need to look up the exact stat, but uh, I heard uh, on uh, another podcast this week that MPJ has basically every – all of his shots are assisted, which makes sense actually when right. you start thinking about the game. you don't He's not really a one-on-one, I'm going to you know break you down, take you to the rim kind of guy. He's a quick shot on the, in the corner three or a pump fake and go to the rim. Or get a put that, back. Or a put back, exactly, crash the boards. So he needs somebody else to kind of set him up, and that's why I think eventually him and Jokic are just could be phenomenal together once they get that chemistry worked out. But Murray is clear out of my way. Right. I'll go one on four, and I'm still going to get to the rim. <laughs> like you know, uh, he he just has a different type of ability. Um, that I think you're exactly right, Rex. It's just like don't worry about anybody else. You know, we'll all fit around you, and I think that's when he's at his best. And when his three ball's working, I just pulled it up here. According to cleaning the glass, he's shooting thirty nine percent from three this year. That's way up. He was thirty five percent last year. Uh, this is his tied right now for his best uh, accuracy from three point line since he came into the league. So let's hope that continues because I think that really opens up his game. If you have to come out and guard him behind the three-point line, that just creates that driving lane like we saw in that uh, 50-point dunk. The dunk? You know, that was amazing. He goes coast to coast. (laughs) And you you saw, um, who was it? I think it was Jared Allen. He had to come way out on him. I mean, Jokic set him up perfectly, set that high pick. But it was just like, okay, between, you know, Murray getting to the rim, you just can't, he's just very difficult to stop when he, when he does that. I also love the fact that he almost missed that dunk. <laughs> <laughs> he was, yeah, he was going so hard. 
<laughs> uh, Bush, to your point, uh, MPJ, a uh, percent of his field goals uh, uh, that are assisted three-pointers, 95%. Wow. I mean, he's not a creator. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that maybe he develops that later on, but I think it's just he can just rise up and get his own shot, right? Like he is that Kevin Durant-esque right. ability that, you know, Murray is maybe 6'4". I think that's what he's listed at. Um, and he's a good athlete, but it, Murray's not like a phenomenal athlete. If uh, Abrams was here, he would probably tell you he's a garbage <laughs> athlete. Um, so, you know, Murray has to do all those Kobe Bryant in the post, um, you know, shimmies to get his shot. And MPJ can just rise up. Yeah. Well, I do have to mention that uh, Jamal Murray's 50-point game did come on Jokic's birthday. So maybe that was just a little bit of a birthday present for him. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jokic. And, and he uh, still got his triple-double. Yeah. yeah. But he I mean, also had a fantastic game. Well, maybe and it was MPJ because they, they had, had over few. 20 points. So, you know, for I think that's kind of the first time all season we saw all three guys kind of do their thing. Yeah. If only we could always I, play Cleveland. I was going to say, and it was the Cleveland Cavs, so let, let's not get too excited, but it, it's good to see at least. But I mean, uh, the, the night before was Washington. I mean, the... <laughs> true. True. The, true. I, the, uh, outside of a couple of teams that I think have the big guys to shut down or at least slow Jokic and then disrupt that, I think when when the Nuggets have their game plan and they have it working, then it doesn't. it shouldn't matter who they're playing. They showed that against the Lakers, the Laker win when Anthony Davis was out, that they played their game and they, they just dominated. And then the Washington game, they didn't show up and play their game. They played Washington's game and they got rolled. So what, exactly. what, So there's clearly not focus. Like there's some level of you know, focus or coaching that's going on here where we're up and down and we're, we're, we're playing poorly against some of these teams and better against some of these better teams. We're almost playing to our competition uh, yep. to a certain degree. And then every so often we blow out teams like we should. So Bush, what, what's going on here? I, it's a weird feeling because when we have better teams on the schedule, I actually feel better. We're going to play better, right? You know, we didn't talk about the Lakers game going into it because they're the Lakers, but there is a part of me that's like, okay, when I see a team like that or if we get the Clippers, we're going to just rise up to the occasion. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, Mike, I think it might have to be maybe the quick turnaround. Um, you know, there wasn't much of an off season. We played deep, fortunately, into the playoffs last year. So maybe there's just a little bit of a motivation factor. I do feel like that um, kind of that's kind of been Murray a little bit this year. Yeah, I it's definitely. like he hasn't gotten up. For, Definitely uh, see that in know. Murray's eyes. So now maybe if he can get that consistency every night like Jokic has. I mean, that's all we really need is Jokic has been the steadying force. We just need Murray to be as steady, you know, 90% as steady as Jokic. And that does a lot, I think. But I, I wonder if it's, you know, the schedule and everything that's going on with COVID and all this different testing and everything. It just inconsistency seems to be kind of the trend of the whole NBA. So the nuggets aren't unique. Um, but it is fucking frustrating as a fan to, you know, like tonight we have the Hawks. I'm kind of terrified that, um, Trey young is going to go off for 50 and just, they're yep. going to beat us tonight. Right? Like, don't you guys think that that's a possibility? Absolutely. I it imagine a lot on who's healthy and who's back to see who's can defend Trey young. Yep. 
but no i <laughs> yeah i feel the same way yeah it's gonna be uh, the, the i don't know what's going on i mean i, I love michael malone as a, a coach um but there are these moments like this where I just get frustrated with him at times. And I know yeah. our team's been hurt, and I know we've had a lot of young guys uh, that are that are playing more minutes, um, but I actually tend to like at this point in the season seeing the young guys out there uh, because, you know, we're a third of the way through the season. You kind of get them um, some decent minutes out there. you got to get them uh, uh, ready for the moment where somebody goes down, like last year, like Will Barton is down in the playoffs, and somebody's got to, you know, step up. Um, if that happens, you want somebody who's had at least a little bit of experience uh, playing in games. I, realistically, they're probably not going to get a lot of minutes, but you don't know what the matchups are going to be. And Zeke or Hampton or someone like that might come in for two or three minutes in the playoffs um, just to be a defender or to knock down a three or whatever the play is. And it's good to see those young guys. But the focus is clearly not there. Um, and I, don't, I agree with you, Bush. I don't know if it's the season and not having practice and, and traveling a lot. Obviously, we're on a four-game road trip right now. And it's, it just seems to be frustrating to see the team play like this when we all know that the game we saw against the Cavs is the team that we expect to a certain degree on a regular basis, and we're just not seeing it. Yeah, or the game against the Lakers, right? Or yeah. the Jazz when we beat them at home. Um, those are That's the Nuggets team that I – you know, we all wish we could see more consistently, and maybe in the playoffs they can rise. But I'm I'm worried about the flip the switch kind of mentality. And going back to your point, let's dig in on Malone real quick because I think what I struggle most with as a fan watching him is I don't know what he's I don't know what I point to and say you know that's where he's a really good coach. I think he's average kind of across the board. And I just wish there was one thing where I'd be like, you know, Michael, Michael Malone, this is where this is where he's an excellent NBA coach. And I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but I can't think of anything where I'm like, that's that's where he really excels at. Yeah, I, I don't think that he's so there are only a few coaches in the league that w- where I would say that they're like top tier, you know, top three or five um, uh, coaches. And then there's kind of a bottom tier. And then there's a lot of coaches in the middle. And, and I would say Coach uh, Malone is probably one of the most steadying forces um, in the league. Like, he's he's very good at what he does, but I, I'm not necessarily in the camp of he's great at this one thing. Like, whether it's, you know, calling plays out of bounds, um, getting the team ready to play, you know, player development, whatever it is. I'm not sure that I could necessarily point to one thing. Um, but he is also one of the better coaches we've had in a long time um, for the Nuggets. Sure. A- and it's kind of like that evolution of the team. I mean, Andrew talked about this on our last pod that, you know, we're no longer the, you know, middling 90s Nuggets where we're just happy to maybe make the playoffs and, and, and kind of plod along. Uh, we're definitely a Nuggets team where we expect to compete. We expect to potentially uh, be in the either the Western Conference or the NBA championship game um, every year now after last year's expectations. And so there's just kind of a higher level that's being set right now. And I don't know that Malone has been able to achieve that. Um, but I'm not sure that there's another coach out there that we could get um, or that would be able to bring this team you know, um, into that kind of next level. I, I, so I've, I've given Malone a lot of thought as to – like exactly what you're asking of what does he do well and uh, i don't think it's an x's and o's things i don't think it's a matchup i don't think it's uh necessarily player development i think the thing that he does 
does the best, which a lot of those middle tier coaches kind of get credit for is kind of just getting out of the way of letting letting guys figure it out on their own and that he's lucked out more than anything with stumbling into Jokic who has figured out how to be just one of the best players in the world ever and that has done so much to elevate the team to the point where he you know, Malone was in the the talk of coach of the year last year but I I don't think it is it is a strategy that can get the nuggets to the next level especially with working in some of the new characters to the the roster this year where they don't definitely don't have quite the same chemistry they had last year that if they're not going to figure it out on their own which they don't seem to be that they need a heavier hand from the coach and i don't think malone is quick enough to do it and as we've seen before with him he struggles with rotations right and the fact that whenever we have more guys available it seems like that's when our rotation becomes more complicated to him he's Mm -hmm. actually maybe a better coach when there's less options and right you said that before that he gets bailed out by injuries yeah and i think we're seeing that now and i would be really curious when everybody comes back what do we do um so i wonder how Connolly in the front office kind of factors that in because i don't think it's actually you know as i'm actually a big malik beasley fan right and he's been putting up some ridiculous numbers, granted, on the worst team in the league. <laughs> but there's a big part of me that's like, damn, I you know, I wish he was still a nugget. Wancho, obviously, he is a, I don't think he's anything but a great teammate at this point. Uh, but I, I don't you're know discounting if his acting career. Well, you're right. I forgot about that. <laughs> you can't you gotta factor that in. Um, but I think it's maybe not a coincidence that we had our deepest run after we basically did a consolidation trade for a draft pick is all it ended up being, right? Last year, we, mm-hmm. we got rid of those guys. We got some guys back that were end-of-the-bench guys but never played, and we got a draft pick uh, that we took Zeke with. So maybe maybe we just need another consolidation trade, right? I kind of feel like we still have too many options for him. Granted, mm-hmm. everyone's been hurt, so maybe that's not the case this year. But it's uh, I, I constantly go back to this idea, and I'm not alone here, but of – is Malone has gotten the team from where we were when he came on board, where we were, you know, a 30 win team to mm-hmm. now getting to the Western Conference final. Is he the guy that gets us over the edge uh, or over that, you know, get it gets us to that next level? Is he capable of motivating the team? Is he, you know, strategically enough, you know, strong enough to get us there? And that's, I really wonder that. And I wonder if Connolly and Kroenke have those conversations or I would love to know what they're, you know, truth serum thoughts are right. on whether they think Malone's the guy or not. And I mean, then they gave him how the do you evaluate who, who the guy is? I don't you know. know. It's, it's not, tough. It, it's not like you can look at somebody's stat sheet to see, you know, their efficiency percentage and yeah. you know, what their <laughs> shot choice they're making when you're evaluating a coach, um, it, that it's so much of the intangibles. Uh, and, and I don't think Malone has, He's definitely not done something to lose his job. True. He definitely hasn't. You know, I've pulled up uh, all-time records here for Nuggets coaches. He is already fourth in wins. So Doug Moe's first, George Carl's second, Larry Brown's third. Uh, Mike Malone's fourth in wins, fourth in win-loss percentage, 
And uh, if you look at win-loss percentages for playoffs, he's second all-time behind Issel. But he's already has 16 wins in the playoffs. Dan Issel only had six wins, six losses. So no one, no coach in Nuggets history has a winning record in the playoffs. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Which I think I, is pretty much sums up the, the franchise pretty well. Well, I mean, even last year we had a great run. They were a plus two in the playoffs because everything went to game seven. So like that's no way to improve your playoff winning percentage. <laughs> uh, I have had a thought. Um, I don't know if you follow George Carl on Twitter, but he he clearly wants to be part of the Nuggets organization. And I think uh, coming back post-cancer, I think he could be such a valuable asset to be an, like an extra voice in the locker room that doesn't necessarily have to carry like a decision maker level of weight, but just somebody to be encouraging and give an extra perspective and i i think that would be a super fun addition i highly recommend the uh on the dnvr.com keeping it 1000 podcast with adam Ares and george carl check that one out yeah. um it has some it's really interesting to hear his perspective on things and he's very different than us as fans and yeah. i love the name keeping one keeping it 1000 came from i didn't understand it and then they explained it because uh, george carl has over a thousand wins wow. uh, in the nba um so it's really interesting to hear him talk about the nuggets so i mean d- is my my take off i think the take is off and only that i don't think Cronky wants him back in the building oh um, yeah i <laughs> but <laughs> carl does what's that but carl wants to be back in the building i think it's I, it's hard to tell. He talks a lot about talking to other coaches and keeping tabs on the league. And I think he would like that kind of, you know, kind of consultant role. Right. I think he would probably be open to that is my guess. But I, in terms of the, the Nuggets front office relationship, I think that one might have been uh, destroyed. <laughs> All right. What you got, Mike? All right. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break here uh, to hear from our presenting sponsor, the Abrams Momentum Group. Hi, this is Mike P. from Hardwick Mining Company. I'm here to talk about the Abrams Momentum Group. If you're having a tough time, can't really find your way through the Denver market, trying to get yourself one of those fine homes here in Denver, well, let me tell you who to hire. Andrew Abrams from the Abrams Momentum Group, Realty Through Relationships. He's helped every one of the Denver Five find our homes, and we love every single one of them. So I would recommend Andrew Abrams from the Abrams Momentum Group. You can find him online at the Abrams Momentum Group. Back to the pod. All right. Oh, that was that was just so smooth. <laughs> Man, the quality of this podcast is just going up it's, every single week. It's really addition through subtraction is what we're learning. Really <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, that was a kind of a recap of the week. Thanks for the Abrams Momentum Group for uh, sponsoring the pod. Uh, we're going to yeah, throw deep dive it. on coaches. That's always fun. That's yeah, what true go. fans do, right? Fire the coach. Yeah. Fire the coach. Yeah. Well, sign us up. When Come you on. don't, when you don't know what to do, you fire the coach. Uh, <laughs> after last week's pod, I felt like we had such it, every take that we had, every recommendation they followed through, and it all worked out. That was, it was yeah. 
All right. Well, we're going to uh, throw it to our main man, Bush, for Bush in the Woods, uh, teaching us a little bit about the week and uh, getting us a little bit deeper in the nugs. All right, guys. So Bush in the Woods this week is going to focus on Jamal Murray and MPJ. And I think some of the advanced stats here um, kind of bear out that we're maybe not seeing them play at their optimal positions uh, for the majority of the game. So, uh, you know, Murray tends to be our starting point guard. Uh, MPJ is the smart starting small forward in most cases. And when you dig into their numbers, um, they actually seem to be better when Murray is playing at the shooting guard and MPJ is at power forward. So the stats that I'm looking at here are, you know, um, how many how many points the Nuggets outscore uh, per 100 possessions? So when Murray's at the shooting guard, the Nuggets are outscoring teams by over 11, um, and when he's at point guard, we're outscoring teams by over five. So positive in both um, situations, but clearly much better when he's at the shooting guard. It really stands out when MPJ is at uh, small forward versus power forward. At small forward, the Nuggets are actually getting outscored by almost two points per 100 possessions. Compared to when he pl- he's playing power forward, uh, we're outscoring teams by over 12. So what I think it all boils down to is uh, matchups, really. And, you know, we've already talked about it for Murray. I think it's a mindset for him, too, when he's at – when we have a guy like Faku or uh, Monte on the court with him, they don't have to – Uh, Murray doesn't have to worry about being kind of that true point guard and getting everyone else involved. So he can just have that bubble Murray mentality of putting up um, shots and getting buckets for the team. And then MPJ, I think at power forward, you know, he is 6'10". So size-wise, it makes sense. Um, And I think he's just quicker than a lot of, you know, even in the stretch four kind of league that we're in now. He's he just is a better matchup offensively going at power forwards than at small, smaller forwards who might be, you know, a little bit shorter, but just as quick, maybe a little savvier um, and can take him out of things that he wants to do. So I would love to see those two guys get more minutes at these positions. Uh, So to me, that means maybe shaking up the starting lineup. I think that means moving, um, Probably, you know, it's either Barton or Harris to the bench. And I would actually like to maybe see what Gary Harris looks like coming off the bench and, you know, moving Monte into the starting lineup. So Monte, Murray, Barton, MPJ, and Jokic, I think could be a really interesting starting lineup. And they bring Gary off the bench. Um, And, you know, obviously when they play crunch time minutes and stuff, it'll change game by game. But um, that that's my bush in the woods this week is I want to see Murray get more time at the two and MPG MPJ get more time at the four. Uh, I love it. I love data validation for the things that we were just describing. <laughs> uh, it you know, totally makes sense to me to, to free up Jamal to just be a scorer, to not have to worry about the rest of it. And, and I think, uh, Another part of the MPJ at the four is that hopefully it it puts him more in the mentality to crash and to follow up and to not just bail out um, and where we've seen him be so successful in going up and getting putbacks and getting offensive boards, which the Nuggets aren't typically really great at other than Jokic putting back his own shots. Yep, exactly. We don't have really any offensive rebounding other than Joker in there. All right. Well, that was uh, a bush in the woods. 
Thanks for uh, running through the, the lineup there with MPJ and Murray and trying to get us a little more organized. So Yeah, so how, how do we put that into action? Do you, we got like an in with Malone? Uh, how, how do we get this? Yeah, I've, I've been shooting him texts, you know. I haven't been getting any responses back. But. <laughs> Wait, oh, he's got a listed listed uh, cell number? Yeah. Is that right? Abrams Momentum Group helped me find his house. So uh, I was able to go swing by. <laughs> Good. Just kidding. Not who knew? Abrams and Menem Group, also private detectives. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we've got a, another uh, segment. We're going to uh, come up here. Uh, we're at the uh, mark in the season where the All Star starters were actually selected uh, earlier this week, and for the first time since 2011, since Carmelo Anthony, uh, the Nuggets have a starter, Nikola Jokic, our boy from Sombers, Serbia. Yeah, birthday birthday boy got his uh, wish. Uh, started with the the Western Conference team here, so uh, very exciting. Uh, I think we've been uh, alluding to Jokic throughout the year. We've been talking about Jokic throughout the year. I, I don't think we fully appreciated the beauty and what he's doing for this team this season. So I, I have a couple of things that I wanted to talk about just in terms of what he's doing this year compared to um, years past. Nice. So statistically, uh, Jokic just so far this year is averaging uh, 27 points uh, per game. In prior years for his career, he's averaged a little over 17 points. Last year, he was um, just under 20 points as he was the year before. So he's significantly improved just his general scoring on the floor. His effective field goal percentage is off the charts. He is shooting 61% effective field goal percentage from the field, which is shocking um, to see, which takes into account the three-point field goal is worth a little bit more than the two-point field goal. So it's how you were shooting overall on the season. Uh, from Mike, I never length, thought we'd see Jokic put up those kind of offensive numbers. It's just insane. insane. It's insane. I mean, it's the only reason we're even in the conversation right now, quite frankly, um, in the playoffs, uh, because otherwise our team has been playing quite horribly, as we've talked about previously. <laughs> uh, he's he's making uh, 3.8 field goals a game on 40% shooting. He's shooting 61% from the field on, on two-pointers. The guy is just kind of off the charts in terms of just general scoring on the season. Uh, looking at uh, NBA math, they, they put together a couple of uh, statistics they call um, TPA. But his um, offensive point production, um, as compared to other players, he's the number one guy in the league um, at 191 OPA. The next closest player is Steph Curry at 164. So, quite frankly, not even close. Right, he's still so he's 15% off- higher. He is offensively off the charts. Uh, so let's look at uh, then what he's doing in terms of his uh, rebounding. He's uh, averaging 11.2 rebounds per game. Um, so the guy's still getting on the glass. He doesn't jump, but he just grabs the ball off the glass, <laughs> uh, which is good to see. But then he's also still getting the assists. I mean, we've always uh, thought of him as a distributor uh, and a sharer. And if you look at the last three seasons, he's averaged 6.1, 7.3, 7, and then this year 8.6. So when they talk about players taking a leap, this is a monumental leap um, for Great a point. player to, to, to do. Uh, he's always been an all-star and a good player the last two years. Um, turned 25 yesterday, and this year he's in 25? shape. 25? 
25 years old. He's in shape. He's an all-star. And he's in the conversation um, for MVP, um, quite frankly, being overshadowed by East Coast biased or West Coast biased <laughs> for players that are not playing anywhere near the level of play that he is playing right now on a statistical basis. LeBron James uh, is kind of having a, a same year he's always had. Uh, Embiid is blowing it up, and people are excited about Embiid because he all of a sudden is having a great season, and he's doing the things that everyone expected him to do, and he's carrying that team by all means, but he's still not as good as Jokic. So Jokic gets played down because his um, defense. Um, People typically look at him and say, oh, you know, defensively he's not nearly as good. But if you look at him on a plus-minus basis for our team, he's, I think, plus, oh, I lost that. It was like plus six on the season. Uh, for us, both on and off the court. Um, he helps us immensely being on the court. But then if you look at his uh, DPS, which is uh, uh, defensive statistic, defensive points saved, um, he's in the top of the league in terms of that level. So it's a little bit skewed, and he's, he's not one of the top defenders in the league. You, you see it on the, on the floor when you're actually looking at him. But he is not bad. Um, he's always been thought as a bad defensive player. He's more of an above average um, defensive right. player. He, he's not blocking shots and he's not protecting the rim, but that doesn't mean that he's a bad defensive player. That, that's exactly exactly. Right. He's really good at you know he's really improved. Um, you know, kind of his steal rate. Right, his steals are up. So that was my next thing I was going to go and say. And his steals uh, are one of the things, you know, he's, he's a guy who's got good hands. Um, we obviously see that on the assists. He's a very smart player. He's, he knows now more so where to be, um, but he's not getting necessarily the statistics that he, sh- he would normally see, like on an Embiid or, or um, a Gobert or someone like that. But his steals are up. Um, so they're down a little bit from the way, the way they were in the beginning of the season. But he's still got 1.7 steals per game which uh, on average he was averaging about 1.2. So he's going to get another half a steal, which is great to see on a center doing something like that. Those are, those are statistics you would normally see on like a Chris Paul or someone like that. It's crazy. He's been phenomenal, and somehow we're like two games above 500, but that's okay. Well, but we, this is absolutely worth diving into that mentioned when, when he scores over 24, we're like 5 and 17 or something. Isn't that what you said? that when when he is in this position where he has to do everything and he has to get all of those stats then the team isn't necessarily better off for it as far as wins go that is somehow like the he's undermining his own mvp case in that when he's getting the his nightly triple doubles and he's putting up 30 12 and 10 then we're not winning most of those games so it he can't be an mvp if we're at 500 we've got to be top three for him to to do that and uh, i don't know how that's really solvable uh, other than that he has to do less he has to get 15 10 and 10 and the nuggets have to be the number probably the two or three for him to actually be in that conversation well, I think we saw what we need um, this this week. Uh, we need scores. Um, you know, and the team's hurt, and, and we haven't really seen, you know, Jermichael Green was out, Harris was out, Barton was out, everybody else was out. So the, the team needed to be carried, and he needs to continue with that distribution role. Uh, but other guys have to actually show up 
I mean, no one else on the team has been scoring on a regular rate, and he needs that help. I mean, we just saw that from the, from the Cavs game. When Murray goes off and Jokic is still always a threat to the team, the pe- things get spaced out and we can actually win games. He's um, been awesome this year. I, I it's been so much really fun to watch. To well, I, I, I wanted to spend a minute because uh, if you haven't had a chance to watch the games, uh, I know it's been difficult for a lot of our uh, Denver fans uh, because of the <laughs> Do you want to go on an altitude ramp? <laughs> uh, with altitude and, and some of the local uh, uh, cable channels. But um, it, this has one, been one of the fun years to watch a player uh, on the Nuggets who's just so humble, and he scores at a rate and in a way that you look up and you don't even realize that he's got 20 points at, you know, at halftime. It's, it's kind of a beautiful thing to watch, beautiful game to watch. Uh, it's not hard and ball by any means. Um, it is definitely Jokic uh, distributing and having fun with it. So I felt like we needed to spend a moment to give him a little bit more appreciation. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Um, go race Which, some horses. Uh, fact check. He just turned 26. Well, all right. <laughs> 26. <laughs> well, uh, with that, uh, we're going to uh, turn it over. So we've had a little bit of a uh, running segment um, since Sieber blew us all up a couple weeks ago uh, on his soapbox. Um, uh, <laughs> Everybody's trying to be Sieber. Andrew then uh, went rogue on us, and so we've now got Rex's rant. So, Rex, what do you got a rant on? I got a good rant. Okay, so a little bit of backstory. Uh, after after the the end of the terrible Washington game, I was I was a little unhappy about the two gift foul calls at the end, and I was complaining the text chain, and nobody was being very supportive of it. And then I had a couple of cocktails while. <laughs> While Zimmy was watching The Crown, and I, I just kind of wrote this whole manifesto about fouls that I haven't actually reread yet. So I wanted to do it on air and see see if it holds any water. Uh, please feel free to jump in and interrupt uh, at any point and try to bail me out of this terrible argument. Uh, You're on your own. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. Okay. <laughs> fouls. <laughs> Basketball. Is this slam poetry? <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> ba- basketball has lost grasp of what the principal concept of what a foul is. Football has two, but basketball is the worst. Well, soccer might be the worst, but this is a basketball pod. <laughs> so what is the spirit of a foul? A foul is an unfair or endan- endangering play, something that you specifically want to disincentivize. Broader picture, it's what a player does after they've been beat. When someone has a step on you and you've got to reach out and hold or hook or grab because you've already lost your position. And that's the same across all sports. It's a play where someone live would go, oh, come on, man, you can't do that. But when a shooter goes into a play seeking a foul, that shouldn't be re- that shouldn't be a foul. That's rewarding bad behavior. That's an abuse of the spirit of the game. Getting someone elevated and jumping into them, that shouldn't be a foul kicking your feet out to on jump shot looking for contact or trying to land on someone shouldn't be a foul and yes coming up and under an an outstretched arm on the perimeter that Jokic likes to do shouldn't be a foul none of those are genuine attempts at making your best shot those are genuine attempts at using the rules to squeeze points per possession out of the refs and it has real implications now before I go down the y'all are role models road I don't blame the players. I blame the league. Well, that bullshit flop that LeBron got a warning for last week that I want to talk about. uh, I blame him and the league. 
uh, the solution, swallow the whistle and stop rewarding that crap. <laughs> but I think it has to start with a culture shift and, and to start to bring it back to the schoolyard game, which is why most of us love it. Uh, and how we actually do that, I think, is you take a page from hockey and you tweak the game. Maybe it's four captains, maybe it's three on three, but you start with the all-star game. And I'm so excited for some at some point for them to actually try to let guys call their own fouls in the all-star wow. game. Because uh, I think it would be a very quick culture shift for that to trickle down and have actual pride in yourself and your game and the outcome where there would be the other players holding you accountable for that bullshit. Uh, and, and that's what I'd like to see happen. Nice. Rex wow. rant. I think that should actually be called Rex turn 65. <laughs> Because the old lawn. man came out. Yeah, get off my get lawn. Off my wow. Lawn. Come on. Well, you even went in so deep as to provide us a Webster's Dictionary definition of what a foul is. Uh, and then not a, a dictionary of- definition. That's definitely a Rex's definition. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should have, uh, have looked up the actual definition, though. I'm, I'm glad um, that you did this during an episode of The Crown. Sounds like it was a long episode. <laughs> They're all long episodes. Uh, That's the whole idea. <laughs> and nothing ever gets better. <laughs> uh, so so uh, fouls are always uh, a challenge in the league. Uh, they've obviously changed the rules uh, since kind of the, the 80s and 90s, uh, long, long time ago. And they've continued to change to a lot more scoring. Uh, I mean, you just look at the league in terms of players that are scoring over time. Uh, the number of points that we're actually seeing scored in games, uh, it's obviously geared significantly more toward the offensive player uh, and trying to score, and defense is always kind of taken aback. So it's always a much bigger challenge. Uh, I don't disagree with uh, a lot of what you said, Rex, um, but, you know, it's kind of the, the world we live in with a lot of the, the fouls um, that occur. Uh, I don't like the ticky-tacky ones uh, where you lean into the foul and you get the foul. But the thing that we were arguing about uh, about the Washington game where the two two fouls um, uh, late in the game uh, that were very much so clearly looked like fouls um, I, I don't think that I can argue against that uh, while we are Nuggets fans uh, those were clearly fouls on the Nuggets technically a foul does not mean that it has to be a foul there's there should be some leeway and I, I will absolutely credit, credit the the league for uh, having the whole replay center and they actively grade refs on every game saying this is a good call, this is a bad call, and they are, they are active with it. But the the defining what is and what isn't and making it technically the right call, I, I personally don't think that that improves the game as much as giving space for the refs to be human and humanizing the game, which is, oh, that's always been one of my favorite things about baseball is that it has more of the human element and that there's space for the refs to understand the point that they are in the game where you're not going to give three free throws to a shooter on not a great shot on a, a, a a foul that you don't have to call. It was an unsafe play. He didn't slap him across the face mid shooting motion. Uh, or more specifically, the second one where uh, Green didn't come down on the shooter. He jumped straight up and down the, and he was driven into that. 
I don't think you should bail him out with 0.1 second left to to close out a game like that. I thought that was bullshit. Well, clearly a foul, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on to next week. So, uh, Sunday night, uh, Nuggets play at Atlanta to finish out the four-game road trip. Uh, then we're Tuesday night at Portland, uh, a TNT game. Uh, that should be a fun late-night game. Uh, then play Washington again on Thursday uh, at home, and then we hit the road uh, again for another four-game road trip, uh, with starting with Oklahoma City. So it uh, will be interesting to see what happens. Uh, obviously, some interesting teams. Uh, one good team, three bad teams. Uh, the Nuggets should really pull out this week uh, at a minimum, at least at a 3-1. and one. Uh, But as we've seen, the Nuggets have been kind of up and down. Uh, Bush, anything you're looking for this week uh, as we wrap this up? I think just if Jamal Murray can keep doing what he's shown the last you know game and a half or so, or last five quarters. I think that's the biggest thing going for the Nuggets right now. If he can become that high volume scorer that we need him to be, then things are looking up. So you think three and one? I'm going three and, three one. and one. Let's go three and one, baby. Do do we pick up Atlanta and drop a bad one, or do we drop Atlanta and win the games we should? I think we win Atlanta and Washington and Portland the next three, and we lose to Oklahoma City. Interesting. Hmm. I, I could see that. I could right. see Jamal really showing up for Portland and, and then forgetting to show up for OKC. <laughs> yeah. And That'd be the, winning in the Washington game is a little bit of a like. Yeah, a I don't think they'll be underestimating yeah. Wiz this time around. I, yeah. I do also think that Jamal shows up for Atlanta because he always, he he does that with, with Portland, does that with, with Utah, with players that he, he feels some one-on-one slight against that he he gets compared to Trey Young and he knows that there's a lot of talk about Trey Young that he wants to show up and he wants to to put him down. Yeah, I totally. All right. Well, that was episode seven of the Hard Pick Mining Company. You can find us on Instagram and on Twitter. And uh, keep sending us your emails for the mailbag at hardpickminingcompany at gmail.com. This was your Denver Five. Thanks for joining. <laughs> Go Nuggets. Go Nuggets. Has anybody ever emailed? No, I haven't asked anybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gents, good stuff. I got to jump. Yeah, All right, see you, bud. All right. <laughs>